destroyed nonchalance. Taking culture apart one episode at a time. A social commentary podcast on pop culture, fashion, film, and music. This broadcast is going out to our listeners, wherever they might be in these strange and off-putting times. We hope that this voice that you hear, our voices, are a calming, reassuring voice. What? Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> what? This is just a little dramatic. I mean, no, it are we feels in like, like this, 28 though. Days Later or like that Sandra Bullock movie where they couldn't see doesn't it feel like that, though? I mean, things are kind of going crazy. We're doing this episode in the middle, just as people are starting to realize they should be social, socially distancing themselves. And, I mean, we've gotten through the phase where people have hoarded sanitizer. They've... And... They've started, they've hoarded toilet paper, and today, for the first time, um, we went to the grocery store and we saw that there were no eggs at one of the grocery stores. And we're talking about, like, six shelves of eggs from, like, all the different sizes, free-range, organic, everything. All the eggs just gone from one grocery store. And we're hearing that the same is happening with flour and beans. Not that I know how to bake, so... We, we don't know what no you flour. do with flour anyway. <laughs> what, what do you do with it? Throw it what at do you people? do with flour? I don't know. So, I don't know. It's just really strange times. And, I mean, everybody's talking about how they're in quarantine now. That I think that we're just dealing with so much of the, the social amplification of the problem and what social responsibility looks like that it's hard to get our heads wrapped around it in any kind of rational way. Well, and it's really self-imposed. This whole coronavirus, COVID-19 situation, it seems like governments have really screwed up and people have had to step up and right. be conscious, not just about yourself, but about others around you, especially those that are... In the line of fire, the old, the older people or people who have... Like a compromised immune system. Yeah. That's mainly what I'm concerned about. And I've put it on Instagram. I'm just like, look, I'm going to be the match that stays away because, I mean, chances are, given my age and my health, I will come out of it pretty much okay. But I can't guarantee that for anybody that would cross my path who might be older or, you know, have bit of trouble in their health history and i wouldn't want to do that to anybody and i mean and i mean we're going by the assumption we made the decision we're going by the assumption that we have whatever yeah, it is already that way you know you're just careful right and we, i mean we've we heard that it's a good thing to do to assume that you're positive just asymptomatic and just assume that you are and you know what there's no harm in that because in a way, by removing ourselves from social situations, we're not inflicting harm on anyone. And so that's kind of, I don't know, how many days has it been now? It feels. I don't know, we started a little bit before everybody did, maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, about two weeks ago, I was saying, okay, we need to be collecting water, we need to be picking, picking up some extra snacks, we need to start, like 
collecting some food, and I mean, and we have, yeah, we have some of it. We have some of the basics. I mean, with the fresh stuff, we do go out in the mornings to pick up some of the basics that will cover us for you know two or three days. Right. So we are really trying not to go outside, but normally we stay in <laughs> anyways, other than going to a cafe. So, it, I mean, it's not that much of a stretch. It's not, much, it's not that much of a stretch. I mean, because when we do spend a lot of time working in front of screens. and We do. And going, you know, if we're not working in front of screens on the website or on the Instagram we are. We go to the movies and we watch TV and and we go. We like to go to West End shows and so yeah. I mean, without a doubt, that's being impacted. I mean, we were considering going to a movie today, um, but we just didn't. We the day got busy and I mean, we were really strategizing on. Okay, we know information that this this thing can stick to surfaces right. for like 12 hours, depending on the surface. So we figure if you go to the first showing of a movie, it, right. people might not be going to the movies. It might be pretty empty. And and the, the Odeon, the theaters have said, you know, we're, we're staying open, limited hours, but keeping everything clean and high standards. Right. So, I mean... There have been some reassurances by, I mean, we've gotten emails from pretty much every company that is out there that we connect ourselves with talking about this right. outbreak. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think I'd be comfortable going to a theater right now to see a live no. West End show. I mean, no. Madonna's Theater was small and it held 2,000 people. It just, it's, to me, it's just, it's unreasonable to consider going to that and, and i mean honestly i don't know how i would feel sitting in the, the movie theater how much i would be able to lose myself in what i was watching i mean normally they're pretty empty when we right. go right it's only for the big the big movies where we kind of want to have an audience because that adds to the movie most of the time when we go they're mostly empty which is a good thing. I, yeah, you know, I think the Leicester Square Odeon mm-hmm. would be a good one. The, the main theater room where you can book your seat, you can, and it's reserved. And is the seat, the seats are so staggered that, I mean, you do feel yeah. kind of like off on your own a bit. No, it's true. I think that that's a potential. That's but a potential. We are, we are you know. Trying to stay out, not going outside, and just following. Or when we do go outside, we don't go near crowds. I mean, it's perfectly fine to go for a walk or go to a park. And Linda has some like really nice parks. And yeah, getting movement and all that is it is good. Yeah, and you know, luckily our Airbnb guests are gone. Like Airbnb has been canceling. Um, our guests that have stayed with us, which, you know, it does hit um, some of our pocketbook, but also it's it helps us control what's going on in our flat. Yeah, so there's a bit of panic going around, especially for anybody that's in the gig economy, anybody that works in restaurants. I mean, this is hitting so many industries. This right. is global pandemic. And 
there are some industries that can continue and some that have to because, you know, I mean, stores need to operate at, at basic levels. Right. But it's really exposing the vulnerability that of the gig pushing, economy. The pushing people to this gig economy that if it goes away, you're you're pretty much screwed. There's no option. And companies and governments are really going to have to step up. And, and I think that organizations like um, corporations like Airbnb are going to have to step up because yeah. it's painfully clear, or it should be to them, that it's the guests and the hosts that are driving their profit and they really don't have that much to lose. They, they're really not risking much. It's mm-hmm. the hosts who are facing so much of the risk. And, um, and there needs and, to be some appreciation for that. Yeah, because right now, and understandably so, they're fully refunding the people that can't travel. Right. But that leaves the host empty-handed and taking 100% of the burden. Because then they're, they're out. And I can't, I can't imagine the people that have full businesses and multiple apartments or homes that really rely on a mortgage payment being made by Airbnb guests staying in those homes. It can, I mean, it's, it's making me like, just really like nervous for them. Right. We don't have such a thing to that extent. We, we don't have a lot of the same kind of pressures. No. We're fortunate I mean, in a few different ways. I mean, not as fortunate as some people, but no. we are fortunate like right now that we're not facing a lot of the same pressures that we can, that we know people are facing, that we're hearing them talk about it and we're seeing social media posts about it. And, you know, it's It's scary. A really tough time. And everything that you're seeing from the States, I mean, we both have our families are in the States. Right. And it's, it's that kind of thing where, I mean, it's, it's not like we could go to the States anyways right now, but everything is halted. And I mean, if you look at the airport scene yeah, that was happening at DFW, arrivals. it was just, I don't even know how, if you wanted to go home, no. you could actually stomach the idea of landing in that building where people are standing shoulder to shoulder. It's just, yeah, it's like you said, it's a Petri dish, and all somebody has to do is cough while they're waiting in line to be tested. And, I mean, would that even show up in a test? I I don't know. It's such a mess, and it's such a mess with this government response in the, in the U.S. I mean, all of the governments have fucked up in one way or another, but they're <laughs> a government that has the Trump administration needing them and leading in quote air quotes because they're not doing shit and putting a lot of misinformation out there and misinformation before it's like, okay, you can call them out and do whatever, but this is going to kill people. This is killing people. And the government preparedness is just not even there at all. The tests are not happening. It's hard to even see. It's hard to draw a distinction between not being prepared and actively doing harm from the misinformation that the government, the U.S. government is putting out. I mean, this... In many ways, it's a third world country situation where the American citizen is having to decide for themselves how yeah. to fend for themselves because authorities are actively making things worse. They're putting it, it's really, 
on on the U.S. citizens, and they are, I mean, for the most part, acting responsibly as as far as you know. Because you do have really qualified millennium. doctors who are getting their voices out. You have the like Fauci and the CDC, and yeah. you know, thank God for social media and an outlet for these kind of voices. Because if you were depending on you know the administration and the top politicians, you wouldn't know what to think. You wouldn't know what to do because it's so it's just. So well, dissonant. I mean, imagine one office to the next. What happened to get this out of control was initially the Chinese government preventing doctors and scientists from saying this is happening and this is really bad. Right. And it's getting out of hand. And look at where we are now. The government's trying to give out misinformation and prevent. I mean, it seems like the the Trump administration is just focused on oh, this is going to make me look bad and I need to fend for myself, not really thinking of Americans. I don't know how die. the Trump administration could possibly look any worse. It's I don't just, know what he's defending himself against because he's just compounded the problems for himself. It's just like it's criminally negligent what this man is doing and what he's turned the office of the presidency into. And I hate that. There are so many people here and there that where you hear that key word of politicizing and we don't need to politicize this. And I mean, there's righteous indignation in all this shit. And you need to call out this danger that is being posed. I think that the most credible argument against politicization right now is you you need to focus on being alive and listen to the authorities who are going to help you do that. And if you're so busy being angry at politicians that you forget to take care of yourself and the people around you, then politicization can be a problem. Yeah, But but once you get past this and once you realize you're going to like survive it, then you yeah, I mean, this poses the real question, what the hell do you want from a government if it can't even protect you at a basic level from a virus what else is it for from this outbreak from chemical warfare it's just a mess and we just listened to the i think it happened last night the democratic debate with biden and bernie oh yeah we should talk about that and i mean yeah they they asked them about this obviously they they had this with no audience and Right. Six feet apart, all, all that, all the bells. So what did you think about what they talked about? Well, I'm coming out of it. And I mean, to me, Biden just makes the most sense because Bernie likes to talk about a revolution. But I feel like Trump was enough of a revolution in the wrong direction that we need to get back to a sense of the familiar and then use a lot of what what Bernie, but also Elizabeth Warren and mm-hmm. Andrew Yang and Pete Buttigieg are all talking about in terms of corrections that need to be made to the familiar. So, no, it's not about going back to the status quo, but it's about bringing back some stability and not trying to counter the Trump revolution with the Bernie revolution. I personally just, I can't identify with that. I can't sign on to another revolution at this point. But... I don't think that Biden should be comfortable in just reestablishing a status quo of 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, but, and I I mean, it was really nice to hear Biden be able to talk and not have to compete with 50 people in order to make his points. And, you know, it was really disappointing to hear Bernie talk and 
I don't know. It sounds like his talking points were relevant five years ago, four years ago, and his leveraging this point about revolution into everything from tax policy to the pandemic, it's just it starts to sound very one note and very almost almost an unsophisticated way of dealing with what's going on right now because everything falls into this tent of there needs to be revolution. Well, no, revolution is not going to solve every single problem that urgently needs to be solved right now. Yeah, what did you What Biden, did you think of? I was really excited too about Biden's talking about uh, a female vice president because I'm suspecting, or at least I'm hoping that he has his eye on Elizabeth Warren. I mean, Elizabeth Warren would be. I I said it like about two weeks ago that a Biden Warren ticket would be amazing. That would be so amazing and so efficient at cleaning up this right freaking mess and. <laughs> continuing you know progressive things yeah that, that need to happen and that you know this needs to get cleaned up but you need a sense that that's not the only thing that's going to happen but we don't need to flip everything upside down and i think a lot of what bernie did the whole debate was arguing on past votes and attacking on you know the reason why this pandemic is happening is because we don't have this set up. Well, you know, Italy has this healthcare system right now, but that's that's not what's out of control. That you know, the the response can can cater to you don't have to pay for this test and we'll take care of you and a government can respond that way and once that's done then you can then look right. at those other things. And that's right. th- those. That's what they were asking, you know, how would you take care of this situation? How would you deal with it, your administration? And it would seem like Bernie just wanted to be like, well, we have a broken system and we need to undo it. Well, you need to fix this pandemic first. Right. And, and Biden was it? able to come in and say con- concrete things like, get the military involved. And it's like, don't, and Biden's saying, don't think about the cost of healthcare right now. Yeah. We can do away with that with one swipe. What we need to do is massive large-scale action that's effective and the military would be a good outlet for that. Yeah, the, using the military for for the the practical Bernie's trying to point medicine. to what Italy has or what Cuba has. Like, you know, I mean just different political systems. It's like, no, we're not talking about political systems right now. We're talking about a very present problem. Well, right now, yeah, you're talking about the present problem of how are you going to pay if you need to go to the hospital because you have this, and how are you going to pay your rent? How, how are you, you going to, to distribute medical supplies? Everything. Yeah, all of it. It's just, you know, we have this great military personnel that knows how to do this and do they do it for other countries. Let's do it for the U.S. They spend enough money, you know, on the military. It's just like real real solutions, real answers to that. That's and, what Biden seemed to have. And uh-huh. even in terms of like choosing a female vice president, he was very fast. Like, yeah, this is what America looks like right it. now. This is what I'm doing. This is what I have a, a black female that I'm going to be nominating for the Supreme Court. And, like, Bernie is just still stuck in, like formulating things from five years ago he was stuck in gotcha no particular gotcha mode he kept right. going after him about a, a vote that he did on a bill or a bill that he created and it, i don't think that bernie 
it at least it didn't seem to me in the debate that he understands how government works. Well, I'm I know like <laughs> that's about to say a little bit, but it just seemed to me like he he thought, oh well, you created this bill and you had things that you gave to the other side so that it would pass. Well, you have to compromise because the Democrats. They don't run the country, and they're not kings. Right. They have to work with the Republicans, and there's certain things that Republicans want. So sometimes you have to compromise to get something through, and then you make it better. And right. It's kind of like you're not just going to get the whole lollipop right now. You have to take what you can, and then you continue to make it better. I think Biden was good at pointing out the context in which different bills were being drafted yeah. and approved. And like, well, why did you give this concession to acknowledging what Cuba's good at back then? So we were trying to influence Cuban policy. But Biden's not trying, I mean, but Bernie's not trying to influence Cuban policy. He's just giving them a pass on yeah. what the education system ben was like. And, and the Russians and all of these governments just that really sure like have great in education isolation. Because, you know, you have to learn the things that they tell you and. You know, they probably make the numbers up. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, so Bernie is very theoretical, and his talk about theory doesn't change. It all sounds like revolution. It's not very specific in how it fix things tomorrow, and it does, it's not very specific in how it will prevent medically this pandemic from getting worse or what people will be able to do economically to him to handle this troubled times but also like looking at the bills that have happened very like in theory in isolation without any recognition of context that is not a king who's enacting these bills and not every country out there that we need to work with behaves and acts the same way and we still need to cooperate with them but bernie just has this way of looking at one thing in isolation and and that's not how things happen and no. and he's just like well i did these votes because they were dangerous and look here i am doing this well th he also voted against that gun bill uh, so that people couldn't sue. And he still hasn't offered. A, a, he glosses over that every time it comes up. He never really articulates a, at least justification that I could buy into yeah. about his um, gun reform like and, position. I mean, the context is everything. People were lied into this Iraq war vote, and the Bush administration is the one responsible for that because guess what? Hillary also voted for it. And but it's they were giving perfectly, information. I mean, and it's fine to apologize, what, 20, 30 years after it happened? Yeah. And I mean, so, like, yeah, so you have to make an apology. And, you know, we're seeing this happen in relation to the pandemic where you can't be perfect. You have to just give it your best. And... Often, perfection is the enemy of good. Well, that's and, the, the and purity that's, test. And that's what Bernie is trying to do to what Biden has, like, the good that Biden's been able to accomplish. It's like, well, no, you're looking for perfect. That would have never flown, given the opposition that the Republicans and most, you know, centrist Americans would You'd sign be very, a very ineffective... Right. And you would quickly realize that everything has a context and there's more dynamics than like your ideal scenario where all of your fucking laws get passed and well, you get to you play go, Santa like, Claus delivering we, your presents to everybody on Christmas seen, morning. We've seen Whoopi. She lived in Vermont and she's made a comment that everything that Bernie talks about, she never saw it enacted in Vermont. And right. why was that? 
Right, right? that's a state. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a state. state. That's like, not even a country that has to consider international relations or anything like that. I mean, yeah. it's a state. And so if you can't get things done in a state that right. you run, how are you going to get it done in a country that you run? And we've seen Biden get things done. Yes, you have to compromise sometimes, but then you continue, you know? You can't have everything right at the beginning because that's I, that's just kind of like that that dream that he's giving people. And, you know, you have some young people that are going for that. But, again, the youth vote, they're not showing up for some reason or another. Right. They didn't show up for him already, and that was his big argument. They're going to show up. And, you know, I just, you know, at this point, I was just thinking, I don't even know if he's, he was on that debate stage as a real contender. I think he was a straw man to give Biden someone to debate because that's potential. Yeah. I mean, I I just don't see Bernie being the candidate. I don't think he has the support. I think every day that he spends running a pointless campaign, he's just burning through and wasting his contributors' money, and he needs to stop. And hopefully it was something like that. I mean, because if if he would have backed out, who would have Biden been debating? Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I hope it's something like, oh, he's just putting them through the faces because these primaries, they need to happen so that all of this stuff can get, you know, it's kind of like practice right? for the main election, for the main thing. And you can't just, that's one thing that the whole process of the primaries, I don't get why people think that you shouldn't bring out everything on a candidate and, and make them face it and make them answer for it so that, you know, it's out there and it's not being brought up at, uh, during the main election. It's a fine line, I think, though, because some candidates really walk away from that wounded. Well, and, yeah, that's what happened. And you don't want that to happen Hillary to everyone. Part. And then Trump stays in office. I mean, the Democrats have to coalesce, come around, you know, come together around one candidate who's not so wounded that they can actually make it past the finish line. And so, I don't think that... In the end, that will happen. I I think that the other side is so. <laughs> what you don't think what will happen? Far gone. That the candidate that gets to the finish line, whether it's Biden or Bernie, will be so wounded that they can't get to the end line and win. Right. I mean, I think no. Biden did a really good job during the debate. I mean, I don't think he's wounded at all. I think that he got like. <laughs> a second chance with the primaries in the South and it boosted the morale of the campaign and it boosted voter enthusiasm for him. And no, and I mean, I think that he's been doing really well. Even when he's been talking about the pandemic outside of the debate, he's been, he's been coming across as infinitely more presidential than that turd that's in the white house right now. I mean, you have Trump sitting in a pile of shit Reassuring everyone that he still thinks he's doing an amazing job. Giving himself but, a 10. But he's covered in sludge at this point. I mean, he might as well be Grimer. And yeah. he's Grimer in love with himself. And that's the extent and the, like, that's his administration at this point. And through it all, I see a Biden Warren ticket as like, okay, we're going in there with the windshield wipers. We're breaking up the tools. We're going to clean off that the glass. Just. 
amazing. I mean, and she has a plan for everything. And I mean, damn, that would be like the team to get it back on track to get this off rail train. Just it's just a train wreck of a mess. Just a complete train wreck, killing people. And like damaging the health of the country unnecessarily, criminally, just and I mean, we're starting to hear about Trump um, approaching the Germans for some kind of testing kit or something. And so that they can make a profit. This outbreak, it's hitting everybody. It doesn't give a damn whether you're a Trump supporter or not. Right. It's hitting everybody. And if this doesn't wake them up, when grandma dies and when your family members are forced to do these extremes, that it's very real. It's it's as real as it gets. And, you know, right there now. are these people who can justify having Trump in the office because... You know, he'll lessen your taxes and he's supposedly good for business. But when you consider the fact that the stock market is an exercise in confidence, and if you have an administration that is so bad at what it does that no one has confidence in what's going on, the stock market is reflecting what true, what Trump's true capabilities are, and that's nothing. You cannot count on him for anything. You can't count on him to be good for business. You can't count on him for being good for social policy. And he has wrecked the economy. And the people who thought that they could hold their nose and put him into office because of his pro-business positions are, you know, the chickens have come home to roost. He's yeah. not good for anything because people need to have confidence in the leadership. And you have wrecked that. He has wrecked the system. And when push comes to shove and people are depending on the government for health to protect them from, from a pandemic, there's no confidence in what this man can do. And now your stocks are worth nothing. And your gains are wiped it. clean. Yeah. And, you know, sorry about it. <laughs> right. Sorry about it. So, was there anything fun that we did this week, other than isolate? Um, we did start watching Star Trek Picard. We did start watching that. I think we mentioned that last week. So, we're like four episodes. I lose oh, track yeah, of how many we episodes did. we're in. We're continuing. Um, I like it. I'm liking it. Yeah. Um, it's been like a good distraction from like everything that's been going on. Um, yeah, between Shrill and Picard. Yeah, it's just like I think we even talked about Shrill last We're week. not looking at the news and refreshing. And I mean, I try not to. I haven't looked at the news too much. But I've kind of freaked people out <laughs> a bit because, well, because I mean, yeah, I've set up a, a, a quarantine room well, in our flat. <laughs> I mean, and, a bit of it, yeah. But I mean, and I don't know. I'm so. I've backed off of the news a bit because really it comes down to just a few things. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Stay away from crowds. And, you know, protect the people around you by staying away from them. I mean... Yeah, it's, it is simple. As much as you, you can, can. You can read a thousand articles. It comes down to those things. And right. it's kind of like the punditry of 
the virus at this point and everybody's writing an article and everybody's got an opinion. But if the CDC is saying it and if the top doctors in charge of this are saying it, then you need to listen right. to them. And that's it. And that's it. I mean, yes, you should try to pay attention to what's happening to you locally, um, what's happening around you locally, because, you know, food supplies and medical supplies and cleaning supplies. Um, Yeah, you you don't want to be surprised by what you don't have access to. And so, um, but I mean... You know, there are stuff, there are like elements of civilization still in place. We're getting texts from the NHS that, you know, um, appointments are going to be carried out in this way. And if you're afraid that you, if you're concerned that you might have, you know, come in contact with the virus, this is the number that you call. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there are things in place, and it's not the apocalypse no, at this point. It's this is not a dystopian future, in some just, ways. You have to be a good citizen and be socially conscious about the crap that you can bring if you're not careful. And young people, be careful. Not saying that I'm not a young person, but. Right. People going out to raves and shit, don't do it. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. Just don't. <laughs> I, like, and, and it honestly doesn't bother me to think about precaution um, and what I need to do. It doesn't stress me out to think about how things can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it kind of puts me at ease to be good Plan at precaution. The yeah. basics. Yeah. Um, so that aside, we've been I've been working on the research paper, like my research another draft to, of it. You've had updates and edits. Yeah. Yeah. So right now I'm still working on the confirmation document where I'm going to be um speaking with an examiner about the viability of my my project. So I've been kind of focusing on the conceptual framework of it, articulating it in a way that um an expert in the field would understand and see the value of. And I've gone back and forth um, through email with my supervisor on that. I haven't had a supervision meeting recently, uh, but I, but we are talking about having a Skype meeting soon. Um, I don't know how... That pen- process, I think, can continue with yeah. the, the meetings and, and that, but right. a lot of it can go online because a lot of your work is independent anyways. Right, yeah. No, and I, I love that part about it. The one thing I am concerned about, especially in terms of like the timeline, is I really wanted to get out into the field and do ethnography and you know be around these people while they're doing um, the Instagram work that, the, that I'm looking at. And that's just not going to happen anytime soon. Well, it's, it's just, I think it's a matter of thinking through based on like what happens in the next few weeks and adapting what you need to but i think just i don't know i mean i'm based on nothing but this seems to it's gonna continue for a bit (laughs) i mean nobody knows no and i mean there's there's a lot of adapt i mean there's a lot of writing to do there's a lot of um 
still reading to do, and I can do that side of it. Yeah. Because, um, you know, for this research project, I've pulled together, it's very interdisciplinary, mm. meaning I've pulled together a lot of different fields. And um, I'm still getting my head around um, uh the use of language so that it doesn't feel like you're reading one field after another, you know, collaged. And um, so I'm trying to get the language right throughout. And I mean, that's not a fast process like at all. It takes a lot of concentration, at least for me, to get the language right so that it, it like, so sociology and fashion and anthropology and human geography and all of these different things that have their own vocabularies, how do they come together from like my written piece and in a way that just seems cohesive and not overly collaged from all these different facets of research. So that, that kind of thing I can continue working on. Um, but we're also... Working, still working on the IA stuff. Um, we're doing a lot of the relevant queer write-ups still. Yeah. Um, so, did you want to just yeah finish let's... it up with the last five of the last week? Yeah. See who they are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, let's start with the earliest one. Number five was Vida Sackville West. And what did she do? She was a writer and a gardener. A gardener. A big gardener. But yeah, she was a writer. She was the inspiration for Virginia Woolf's novel, Orlando. Yeah. I, I haven't read... You know, I did read the novel, but it you was did? a long time ago. Oh, okay. Because I had watched the movie first, and I really loved Tilda Swinton. See, Swet I want to see the movie. I haven't... I loved the movie, and I mean... And again, this was like a long, long time ago. And that made me want to read the novel, so I read the novel. But... Yes, Vida. And does she have a connection with um, that Netflix show that's out right now? The Man in the High Castle? I don't think she has a No, 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 not The Man in the High Castle. Um, wasn't there a, a lesbian who's running out? No, that, that is a different uh, Okay, so let's not show. even go there. I don't want to confuse anybody. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it's in the, yeah. Okay, so Vida, she was... Um, she liked to write about her home where she grew up. It was in Kent, right? Yes, it was. Well, yeah, Noel. Yeah, the home in- was named Noel. And it was bequeathed to them or handed down to them from a queen. Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth. The first. Yeah. But she was like um, the daughter of. Was she a bastard child? Are women bastards? Well, I don't know. No, I guess not. I don't know. I don't know what the <laughs> name. She was a bastardess. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, but she lost the claim to her home. Because a male heir got it. Yeah. She wasn't a legitimate in the line. male heir. Yeah. yeah, she wasn't in the line to, to get it. But she loved it. And it really, like, influenced... In fact, Orlando was about um, a man who was born as a woman who came back as a man and went through this whole journey to reclaim his home. I didn't know that. And Virginia Woolf was so (laughs) taken with that whole story that Vita grew resentful that Virginia actually liked Vita more for the mythology of her life story than she did for her as a real person. Yeah. So she she was kind of pansexual, right? Yeah, she was married... 
for a very long time. For a long time. She had affairs. Right. Uh, knowingly, because her husband was gay as well. Yeah, he knew. And he actually encouraged the relationship between her and Virginia Woolf. Yeah. So she... There was there was one lover that she had where they kind of... She almost ran away with her to Paris. They were going to leave their, their husbands. Right. Uh, it was Violet Keppel. And, and her husband stopped her just... I think it was just so that they wouldn't ruin their lives. Yeah, it, was gonna, it would wreck their reputations. Yeah, and and I mean they. He needed a proper beard, and well, if she ran away with, they her, had a very loving, long-lasting relationship. They did have, a re- and like yeah, Vita had written letters to her husband towards the end of her life, mm-hmm. saying how many husbands and wives have had this like a, a growing sense of love between them after so many years of marriage. Yeah, so it was. I don't. I don't know. I I liked learning about her. I liked learning about some of the books that she wrote, and yeah, it, she was she was interesting. the The layout of the Knoll home was really interesting. I didn't have a chance I to go. <laughs> but did you read about the number of rooms corresponding with um, the months of the year and like the like the weeks? Like it's very. Like, Formulae, like it's very formulated around the calendar. No, I only saw photos of yeah. of it, and it just it looks really crazy. I can't imagine growing up in a in a house like that. Yeah, that it just the architecture and all of it. It just looks so intricate inside. I didn't get a chance to look at the pictures. But so, did you get a sense that the gardens had really like overtaken the really? Um, Overbearing it architecture. Sides. It was completely two sides. It was like a very geometric inside. Yeah. And then the gardens, which are kind of vast, they they don't compare to um, her her home that she she bought. It was an ancestral home that connected to her lineage, uh, Sissingurst. Right. Where where she it was like dilapidated and and they had to bring it back and her end years of her life was spent there with her husband. So the it it was pretty grand. Yeah. Her home in Kent and Noel and the inside just it's it's crazy. It's very different. We'll have to find pictures. Maybe we can put we them have in. to go. Okay. I would really want to go and you can visit Noel house and you can visit Sissingerst, but you know, probably after this whole thing <laughs> Right. <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll visit and take it over. So number four was number four was John Reggie. But wait, we didn't say a quote. Do we want to say just a quick no. quote? No. Okay, that's fine. John mm-hmm. Reggie. Yeah. What did What did John Reggie do? He was a writer, and he's a Mexican American queer writer. He he wrote a lot about the the gay nightlife in in the early 80s LA. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of literature there and I've never read any of his books. No, I don't think I have either. Cuz it it's interesting. It would be interesting to to look into them. I think I don't know that I know a lot of so I'm going to get some water. Gay writers that and he doesn't like to be called that, by the way. He or doesn't no. like... He d- he, yeah, he doesn't like the word uh, queer. 
Oh, okay. At all. And the different uses that it has now. But he's still alive. And he's he's always been writing and he, he does talks. He just received an award on his birthday last week uh, from oh, his really? university in California. So oh, okay. he's out and about. And I Hopefully mean, not now. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's kind of old. <laughs> he was born in the 1931, so... Yeah, yeah, you know. he needs to be careful. Put him in a bubble. <laughs> okay, so number three. Who was... That was the Lady Chablis. Lady Chablis. Oh, yeah. From uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. The book features her, and so did Clint Eastwood's movie. Yes, and I knew... I know the movie. Yeah. I don't... I haven't read the book, but... I was... I just loved the... Because I started looking at the quotes and what right. quotes were out there. And I just, like, her personality came through right away. And I was really excited to look into her background. And She's quite she, the character. She's one of the first, I mean, aside from Rue, right. early on, one right. of the first drag queens out there. And she didn't like to be called a drag queen. But... Oh really? She was the f- one of the first successful ones, right? That had big success because of the book and the movie that right. she was in, and she she always performed in in her club in Savannah. But after the movie, that was kind of like a destination for a lot of people to go see her. We saw um, a club flyer with Shangela and Latrice Royale. And, and Alyssa Edwards. And was, yeah, it was like 20, 2013 or something it was, like that. It was that. just a few, it was just five years ago. Or yeah, because like, she died in 2016. Yeah, okay. So it's crazy to see that there were flyers for, you know, the these Drag Race characters that we know and that <laughs> are Chablis. going pretty strong. Can you imagine her like going into Drag Race? Like, I don't <laughs> know. I mean, I think she would kill, really, but I don't know. Probably. Probably. Older queens like that. So number three? Was number, that Chablis? No, number yeah. Number so number three. two. Number two was Edward Albee. Oh, Edward Albee. And he wrote Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? Yes. So we okay. have Virginia Wolf being brought up twice in one week. Yeah. And that's really interesting just to see the different connections. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about Edward Albee. He's a playwright, playwright, obviously. And we saw Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf uh, with Melda Stoughton just yeah, last just year. Yeah, last year, and it was so good. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like, I've seen the film with Elizabeth Taylor, and I and I really like that. Yeah, and yeah. No, it's that's just, a, just a whole thing to see it live on stage. Imogen Poots was in it as well. And, oh my God, the guy that, that played Imogen Poots' boyfriend, he is in... Star Trek Picard, he plays the Which twin one? guy that is trying to get in the cube. The the guy with the eyebrows. He was in the show. That I, we saw? Yeah, I'll have okay, to show you. But yeah, it was the young, the young guy that was married. Okay. Um, the young professor that she was hitting on. Uh, so we actually <laughs> saw him on stage. Yeah, yeah. I just made the Have you seen him right in other now. shows before that? I mean, any other TV shows? I think shows? he's been uh, in like those... B kind of show, so the sci- to, sci-fi kind of stuff. Yeah, oh, okay. we just have to look into to see. But 
Yeah, I, it was interesting to to read about Edward Albee, especially because he was pretty open about right. being gay. Right. And, I mean, theater, you know. Well, yeah. Kind of, kind of assume, but... It's not exactly a, a football player. No, exactly. But he had Pulitzer Prizes, and he was really revered. He won really a revered. lot of awards. He, he won a lot of awards. He was revered. Right. Out the ass. <laughs> it was just like a lifetime achievement. Revered awards. out the ass. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, put that on my grave. No, that's <laughs> terrible. That's terrible. Here lies Rick. He was revered no. out the ass. <laughs> no, nice. okay. but I, I thought, because he didn't like to be thought of as a gay writer. He's a writer that just happens to be gay. Well, we saw that with the, um, the Japanese... The manga writer yeah. last week where she was writing about characters who happened to be gay, but their life stories were more than just about being gay. And I think that, and I'm hoping that more and more nowadays it's becoming the norm that it's just, you just happen to be that. You, it's not, he didn't like the label and that's very now, like people don't like to be labeled something. Yeah. Especially when you just want to, because it's not the same for a painter or whatever, if they're straight, they're just a great painter. They're not a, a great painter that is heterosexual. They don't, there's no need to add that into that. So I think more and more that need is going away, but I, I guess... As long as it doesn't get covered over. That's no, the one thing exactly. that I don't and want. That's why right. he's relevant. He's relevant because I, I just don't think a lot of people know and can appreciate right his achievements and right. that there are achievements coming from queer people from throughout time so that's a big inspiration for this whole thing right okay so mr alby was number two who's the last one who's number one the last one was janet flanner janet flanner and what did janet flanner do she was a journalist for the new york post the the New Yorker, right? So she wrote. She she lived in Paris a lot, and she would write this column le- letters from Paris, right? And just she was very in in the clique of Picasso and Hemingway and Gertrude Stein, right? So she was friends with all of them. I saw pictures. She of defined her. the writing style for the New Yorker. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's what she did. And I think she wanted to be a novelist. And, but she was able to write these glimpses of people in such a way that it just really caught on. And she really captured an essence about them. And she didn't always write about good people. She wrote about like. She did profiles on Hitler. Yeah. She did like a range of people. But what, but she did it like. With this flair that she's, I mean, yeah, I've read some of them and really, I mean, yeah, really remarkable the way she was able to write. And I could see why her style came to define the style of the New Yorker. Yeah, and I just found it interesting that she's from Indianapolis, Indiana, and she was. Everybody starts from somewhere. Kind of desperate to get out of that. And she's like, she said she started living once she kind of got out of that. Because she was married. And like. Yeah, and she kind of gave it all up and right. went for it. 
I love her pictures. There's like one picture where she's like looking at the photographer from across the table. She's looking right into the camera. And yeah, she's no, like it was the other one. It's the other holes one. In your mouth. This one? No. Oh, okay, no, I know which one. This that one. one. <laughs> yes. That woman has something to say. And she's had something she's to say for a life. very long time. <laughs> she's just like, go to the Shopify and find her pose. The, it's it's the one with the quote genius is immediate but talent takes time and look at those images she has lived a life and she's seen things and and she has a way with words she had a yeah she's just she was remarkable out the ass <laughs> right she was impressive and I, I just liked I liked all of it and I liked being able to find good photos of her yeah, I really like a lot of her photos. All right, so, so I think we've reached the top of this episode. Um, anything else we need to add in? Stay safe. Stay safe. Be stay careful. away from people. Don't subject yourself to people who you could end up harming. And look out for people, especially yeah. if you know that there are elderly people around you. Run I mean, to the grocery store for them. Run yeah. errands for them. I mean, everyone's got to eat. Get them to text you like a simple grocery list and go and pick up stuff for them. I mean, because because people can, and you just want you want to take care of people. And I I heard about the story where uh, this couple just they were at the parking lot. This older couple, and they asked somebody to go into the store, and they had a list. And I just. I hate to think that there are older people out there that don't have anybody. That don't have anybody. How scary the situation might be because that's that's really the target that the demographic that really needs to be careful. So right, we have to protect them. It's on us to protect them. Yeah, offer basically. So that's that's it. All right. Well, that ends this broadcast okay. from the land of isolation to our listeners out there in the dark. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, until next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We put it on YouTube. And follow us on social media. We're on every platform. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're 